to the Beef Watch Podcast. I'm Aaron Berger, a Nebraska Extension Beef Educator. For today's Beef Watch Podcast, we're going to discuss a research project done at Kansas State University looking at the option of limit feeding cattle on receiving rations. To discuss this topic, I'm joined today by Dale Blasey, who's an Extension Beef Specialist. Thanks for joining me today. Good to be here, Aaron. Thank you. Well, before we dive into today's topic, tell us a little more about yourself, your background, and your current role there at Kansas State University. Well, in short, Aaron, I was raised in southeastern Colorado near Trinidad on a family farm and ranch. My brothers and I still have it to this day. Graduated with BSMS from Colorado State and actually went to UNL in Lincoln in the late 1980s and had the privilege of working with John K. Ward. And I was fortunate to do one project with Dr. Kloffenstein when he was there. And since that time, since 1990, I've been a, a part of the K-State Extension and Research System. Well, Dale, you've been part of a lot of different research projects. One you've done recently that I think is pretty interesting is comparing a limit-fed diet to cattle being received versus an ad aluminum high-quality roughage diet. Kind of walk through with us. What was the thought process behind this research project? How was it designed? And and what have you found? Well, we've been actually working on this, Aaron, since 2016. And we come to the conclusion in the state, dealing with several drought, that we really rely too much on roughages. And that's kind of strange coming from a ruminant nutritionist that you want to minimize the use of roughage. But when you have stuff priced and when you're competing with the, the feed yards for, for available roughage, we actually took a look, a hard look at uh, limit feeding. And it's a, it's a concept that's been around since the 1980s. And we leverage heavily with uh, co-product about 40% of the diet on a dry matter basis, only 13% roughage in the diet. And uh, we evaluated it. We systematically evaluated the, the impacts on the health of the calf during the growth phase and followed the calves with one particular project into the commercial feed yard, onward into the harvest facility to look at any impacts, say from a liver abscess perspective, and we found none. So we feel pretty confident about what we're doing, and we we're, we are promoting it quite actively here in Kansas. So share with us a little more about the project itself in terms of the research you're looking at, obviously this limit-fed ration versus more of an ad limitum roughage ration. How was the, that set up? How are the two diets compared to one another? Well, basically, we uh, we had a 45 NEG diet. It's about uh, about 45% roughage, calculated out to be about 45 NEG, as I said. We kept the wet uh, distillers, uh, basically sweet brand is what we used out of Blair, Nebraska, as our co-product. And we compared it to a limit-fed diet that was fed at about, uh, about 85% of ad lib. And every day during this initial study, we had clean bunks. We, we actually measured the, the ad libitum intake of the ad lib diet every day, and we adjusted that according to the, to the uh, 60 NEG diet that we used that was the limit fed diet. So for those in our audience that might not be familiar with the numbers you're quoting, I guess help us understand a little bit the NEG comparison there and what you're trying to equate as you got those two diets to be equal to one another on an energy basis. Essentially, as I said, the full roughage, full ad, ad lib diet, 45% roughage, only 9% corn and 40% wet distillers. 
And then on the ad lib diet, we utilized uh, 13% roughage, 40% corn, and 40% wet distillers. So substantially more digestible energy coming from the from the corn, obviously. And we restricted the intake of the calves. I'll just say right now, we restrict the intake. We limit feed these calves to 2.2% of their body weight on a dry matter basis. And typically the ad-lib calves for that particular trial we did, they were consuming about 2.8% of their of their body weight on an ad-lib basis. So as these calves came into the trial, what was the background of those calves? What had they been exposed to before? Was this their first time to see a bunk and a high concentrate diet or what was the scenario with that? That's a great question. And yes, uh, these calves were purchased by an order buyer out of Dixon, Tennessee assembled from auction markets in northern Alabama, Tennessee proper. They were shipped uh, about 11, 1200 miles to Manhattan, Kansas. We experienced about, I want to say off the top of my head, the original work, we saw about a 3%. I'm looking at it right now. Actually, our mortality was uh, right around 4% uh, with that particular set of calves. And, uh, but no significant differences between the full-fed roughage and the limit-fed diet. No difference. So just based on what you've described, I mean, these would be cattle we would classify as having been under a fairly high-stress environment, southeast calves, uh, you know, not large groups, probably calves that were mixed together. So from a, a risk standpoint, if there's cattle that we would expect to have be higher-risk calves, these kind of fit the bill. Is that accurate? Absolutely. And, and, just a point of saying, we just completed a, we just shipped 280 head this morning off of a, a different study, but using limit fed from the same source coming out of that auction, out of that order buyer. And uh, we experienced about a three and a half percent death loss on this particular set of 500 head of heifers. So very comparable, high stress, commingling. Uh, basically, we were looking for a high stress environment for these cattle to look at this particular strategy. So you mentioned already death loss around three and a half percent or so. Any difference on morbidity in terms of sickness between these two groups? Uh, in the particular study I'm pointing at, no, our p-values were from 0.86 to 0.99, either treated once, twice, or any chronicity, no significant differences. So really in the data you've looked at, really no difference in health in terms of how these cattle were received, uh, morbidity, mortality, getting on to feed. Uh, really no differences there between the higher roughage diet and this limit-fed high-concentrate diet. No differences, Aaron. So as you track those cattle as they went on, uh, what was performance as those cattle then went on to the grow ration? Any differences in gain? And then when you transition to more of a finishing ration, what happened with that? Well, uh, in this particular trial, what we saw was dry matter ad-lib, dry matter intake was about, as I it was 2.62%. And we held those cattle to 2.25 on this particular study. When it was all said and done, we saw a significant improvement in feed efficiency. That's uh, 5.22 pounds of feed per pound of gain versus six and a half, which translates into about a, a about a 30% improvement in feed efficiency. Uh, we saw a bump in, in average daily gain. And this was all done on a dry matter intake of less, just two pounds is what that represents on a uh, dry matter intake. 14 and a half pounds on the uh, full ad lib versus 12 and a half pounds uh, of this. But this diet, every every mouthful of feed 
that these calves on the limit-fed diet consumed contained more energy than their corresponding counterparts with the ad lib. So as we think about just the logistics of this, thinking about bunk space, thinking about feed delivery, what are some of the advantages you see there with a limit-fed diet? And, and really, that's where it shines, Aaron, is that if you're typically making two or three loads with your mixer wagon, you dramatically cut that down because of the caloric density in the diet that you're delivering. So we're shaving off instead of two loads, we're doing one load with our tractor. So, you know, this, this starts to add up uh, for our producers, less mixing time because roughage is a diluent. You got to, you got to spend more time properly mixing your diet. And when you're dealing with a substantially a lower level of roughage in the diet, we, we do a better job faster are, we're, and we're only feeding once a day, too, by the way, with this limit-fed diet. It's being fed once a day. And when we're talking silage and, and with the hay, in many cases, our producers need to go back a second time uh, to top off their, 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 uh, their bunk lines to meet the needs of those calves with that diet. Along with this research, you also looked at some bunk space issues. And I guess talk a little about how much bunk space did you have for these diets and does limit feeding give you the opportunity to maybe make more efficient use of bunk space? Absolutely. And we actually just uh, completed that study a year ago and it's, it's published because that's one of the, one of the, uh, the, the dogmas of limit feeding is you've got to make sure you have adequate space for these calves. And in truth, what we found out was that actually you don't need to. And we did a study looking at 10, 15, 20, and 25 inches per calf. And in that particular study that we did, we saw no significant differences in allotment. Now, we did see some compensatory uh, gain on those calves as they went to grass on our double stock native grass pastures. A slight, uh, it would suggest there was some, some compensatory growth occurring, but we found no, uh, during the, the backgrounding phase, we saw no difference in the, the allotment of bunk space to calves. You just mentioned that you had these calves on a growing ration or this high caloric dense ration and then transitioned to a stalker study where they're actually out on grass. How did this high concentrate diet impact those performance of those calves on grass? Well, it, it didn't. But those calves that were really restricted down to 10 inches per animal, we saw a, a slight bump in compensatory gain on those calves. But... Uh, you know, I mean, certainly not looking at 10 inches per calf, but maybe beyond below the 25 inches where a lot of people think you need to make that allotment and get it down to 15 or 20. Because, you know, our stalker, our backgrounders have opportunities for buying. And, and the most expensive component of any backgrounding yard are the bunks and the aprons associated, the, the feeding space you have. And in fact, we've done work looking at feeding calves in the morning and transitioning those calves out and bringing a, a second set of calves to make use of those bunks in the evening hours, because it takes about five, maybe six hours for those calves to consume 2.2% of their body weight in the diet that we're feeding. So we leveraged the bunks that we had available with double the set of calves and saw no difference in performance, even in that setting. That comment that you just made is pretty intriguing to me. So just talk through with us a little bit the logistics of what that looked like, how long you did that, uh, what was the time it took to transition calves? So we we did it last winter, and we certainly don't have the winter 
conditions that you folks experience up north. But our thought was by feeding the calves at night, we could leverage the heat of fermentation during the winter period, during the nighttime, and, and actually gain some efficiency, basically minimize or reduce some of the maintenance needs for those calves by letting the rumen cook them or heat them up, if you will. And we saw some really great results in the early part of, uh, we initiated the study in, in early January, and we saw some very encouraging results. But by the time here in, in Kansas, by, by late February, March, uh, conditions really moderate and get really friendly. So those effects washed out. But basically, we got this idea from an old boy, a former KLA president down south in Greenwood County near Hamilton, Kansas. And uh, when he was a young man starting out, he and his wife, they only had so much money to build a certain set of bunks. And so what they did was they made good use of those bunks by double feeding those bunks and moving cattle out. The labor is there, no question about it. It takes some, some management to move calves, but we had transition pens where we would hold those calves until they're respective, and then we would switch them out and, and basically gain double the use of those pens with those calves. Just thinking about the logistics of this, it seems like cattle start to learn a routine, and once they get that in their heads, they can be pretty uh, pretty workable. Is that what you observed? Did it take a while? Spot on, Aaron. Absolutely. Uh, they became like old milk cows. They're creatures of habit and you know, feeding at the assigned times every day, seven days a week. They, they had their habit. They had access to water during the period of time. Bear in mind, as I said, these calves eat for five, they clean their bunks up. They clean them up in five to six hours. And for the remaining 18 hours of that day, all they're doing is sitting down, relaxing and chewing their cud. That's all they're doing. One of the other things you mentioned in the study that I think for feed yards is increasingly a, an issue is the less manure that you had, obviously, with the limit fed diet and Getting that hauled out, getting that uh, applied, uh, just again requires labor and equipment. Comment briefly there just on what you saw in terms of differences with that. Well, when you use less roughage, there's less diluent. It, it's it's a lowly digestible fibrous feedstuff that just passes through the track. And what we have found with limit feeding, comparing the two diets together, there's about a 40 to 45% reduction in manure output, which is huge. It's huge. Uh, from a pen management perspective, the, the old boy that manages the yard for me, he prefers to do this 100% of the time. We're, we're not scraping our pens. We can keep our pens fairly in good shape without going in there and having to do a deep clean on them. It, it just makes sense all the way around. Anything else on this topic that you think would be valuable for producers as they evaluate this as a potential option for their own operation? Well, we talked about the feeding logistics and the efficiency, the time to mix, the mis mixing time, the number of loads that you need to deliver, and also the, the de decreasing feed waste. Those calves do not pull feed into the pens. They don't kick it outside of the bunks. So we have less rodent issues, bird predation issues. It's a really good system. We just finished up some work looking at shade and two years, actually. It was an NCBA-sponsored sustainability grant that we completed. And you know what? We found that when you shade and limit feed cattle, you will see about a two-gallon per head decline in water consumption. So, you know, from the perspective of 
water conservation. Uh, you don't need that water when you're not using as much roughage. And, and we see some incredible savings from that perspective. Dr. Blasey, thanks for your time today and your thoughts on the research. Uh, I think some things that challenged us in terms of our thinking, but uh, under today's especially economic situations uh, might have some real application. Yes, absolutely. And as I told you before we started the podcast, I ran some numbers on our diet because obviously when you're feeding upwards of 40% corn, especially in this feeding environment, I used $8.25 per bushel. And even then, we were looking at about a $0.06 cents per, per pound savings when you attribute the, the savings from the feed efficiency. And then you start accruing the the, the manure differences, the time to feed and everything. I think you're you're easily, if you put it all together, you're looking at over a say a 80 or 90 day backgrounding phase, you're probably saving yourself 20 to $25 a calf. Well, again, we think about profit margins in this business. That's often the difference between profit and loss. So not insignificant. Yeah. And and I guess one thing that's really important, I mean, we the, the limit feeding concept relies heavily on the old NRC growth equations. And so it's important, it's incumbent on your on your listeners, Aaron, to understand that they they try to, they don't wanna feed their heifers and steers together. They have obvious different energy nutrient requirements. Having a fairly good accurate in weight as you start with these calves and bear in mind that after one week of feeding, if you're targeting at uh, 2.2%, uh, we typically will gain about two to two, about two and a quarter to two and a half pounds per head per day. So you just simply up the amount of feed allowed to those cattle every week and you just slowly step them up. The other thing I want to mention to you, and I just spoke to the grad student this morning who was in charge of the project that we just completed yesterday. It over the last over the five loads of the high stress heifers that came in, she told me that it took an average of seven to 14 days to get those calves up to that 2.2% intake. And what we do generally, uh, on day of arrival, we'll give them 1% of their body weight in long stem hay. The next day we start that diet at 1% of body weight. And then if they clean those bunks up properly, we'll bump them up a quarter of a percent uh, until we hit that uh, that sweet spot, which we think is 2.2. So all conditions perfect, no sick cattle in the pens. We, we can get them up to where we want them to eat at in, in five days. And we have done that before with cattle that we've received out of Supreme that have already been pre-managed and, and ready to go. We'll get them up there on feed within five days. But on this last set of calves, it's been between seven and 14 days to get them going. Any other thoughts or comments on this before we wrap this up? Yeah. The other thing is having them, you need to have a mixer wagon and you got to have good, reliable scales, of course. And uh, this is ideal for people that are also farming. And I know a lot of your, your clientele up there, they're also corn farmers. And during the harvest time, they don't have, they're splitting their hours up. And like I said, feeding once a day and you just get around it and the health management too. We believe we do a better job with health management when these calves are restricted because at the end of 18 hours after they've been fed the previous day if there's a calf that's not up to the pen or up to the bunk ready to eat then that really enhances the ability for trying to pull a sick calf well dale this has been really good conversation uh, really i think interesting research and especially for the 
resources we have in Nebraska and may have a lot of application. Thanks again for joining me today. Well, Aaron, it's always a, a privilege to, to visit with my brethren up there in Nebraska. I've got a warm spot in my heart up there. I still have a little flash of red inside, and I wish everybody up there the very best of luck. Well, thanks again for joining me today. You bet. For more information on the topic that was discussed in today's Beef Watch podcast, I would encourage you to visit the ksubeef.org website. At that website, if you click on the Beef Resources tab, under that is the Cattlemen's Day Reports. If you click on Cattlemen's Day's Reports, you'll see there the 2022 Cattlemen's Day Summary Report. In that report, there's additional information on the topic we discussed today.